Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com There was a time not so long ago when physicists thought the world consisted ultimately only of tiny point-like particles. Not anymore. Quantum mechanics and relativity, the foundational theories of modern physics, have together forced us to believe that the world on the smallest scale consists of a menagerie of tiny entities, not only particles, but also strings and membranes. My guest today is one of the pioneers of our understanding of membranes, Michael Duff. My name is Graham Farmelow, and I'm the author of the new book, The Universe Speaks in Numbers, where we encounter many mathematicians and physicists working at the frontiers of their subject. I've known Duff, the leading theoretical physicist, for decades, since I was a graduate student and he was a stellar young theoretician, obviously destined to do great things. He was an expert in supersymmetry, a type of mathematical symmetry discovered by several physicists in the 1970s. I still remember the excitement in the physics community as the potential of this symmetry started to become clear. The symmetry had a great mathematical beauty that much simplified many of the calculations done using the equations of fundamental physics. The symmetry also implied the existence of a slew of hitherto undetected particles, which should in principle show up and give experimenters many new opportunities to study nature at the finest level. Alas, none of these predicted particles has been detected, though their existence cannot be ruled out yet. Duff was an expert in applying supersymmetry to the theory of gravity, the field known as supergravity. Today, he's based at Imperial College London, where, until a few years ago, he held a professorship named after his supervisor, the great Pakistani theoretician Abdus Salam, one of the founders of the standard model of subatomic particles. Earlier this year, I had an agreeable lunch with Mike Duff and then returned to his office in Imperial College to talk. I began by asking him how long it took for supergravity to appeal to him as a promising line of research. I was immediately taken with it. But I should just say Mm. that um, Salam got interested in gravity, having spent his previous career on strong nuclear electromagnetic forces, round about the time I became his student. And I was aware, as he was, that... Quantum gravity was a departure from the close relation between theory and experiment that particle physicists Ah. had enjoyed Mm. up until that time, Mm -hmm. because gravity is 40 orders of magnitude weaker than the other forces. 
So we knew that testing it experimentally was going to be difficult. We knew we were in for the long haul, but we thought it was worthwhile because unifying gravity with the other forces, in our opinion, was the biggest unsolved problem in science. So in a sense, it was worth making that departure from closely, closely constrained experiment, closely constrained by, uh, by experiments, to go into the unknown, so to speak, which is what you were doing there. That's what we were doing. Yeah. Strangely enough, it's been like that ever since. Quantum gravity yeah. will always be difficult to test experimentally. But strangely enough, many journalists think this is a new phenomenon. They point to string theory and theory supersymmetry as though this difficulty were something recent, mm-hmm. whereas in fact it dates back to the very beginnings of the subject. To find a quantum theory of gravity was plainly a huge challenge. What were the most encouraging strands of research when you started out in the subject? When you tried to compute physical processes, unphysical infinities came up, and uh, that was the major obstacle in merging gravity and quantum mechanics. So these infinities made calculations pretty well meaningless. They made that. nonsense. Yeah. yeah, okay. So when you apply the usual rules of quantum mechanics to Einstein's general relativity, mm-hmm. everything goes haywire. That was problem number one. A second problem was Hawking's black hole evaporation. Relatively new at that time, Relatively new at that mm. time, but one question was... Mm. What was the microscopic origin of Hawking's black hole entropy? Which he had explained. The disorder of the system. He had a macroscopic explanation, but the fundamental underlying microscopic explanation was a mystery. Mm. And along with that was the problem that Hawking himself pointed out, the information paradox, that black holes seemed to conflict with the rules of quantum mechanics. So those were the three outstanding problems. And what's not generally appreciated, I think, is that supersymmetry has provided answers to all theorem. Supersymmetry in the shape of string theory has given an answer to the ultraviolet divergence problem. Supersymmetry in the shape of M-theory has given an answer to the microscopic entropy problem. It's worth pausing there to say M-theory was a later development of string theory, which we'll come to maybe a bit later. But yes, yeah, yeah. M stands for magic, mystery, <laughs> right. or membrane. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. And thirdly, the information paradox, according to Hawking, has been solved by supersymmetry in the shape of the so-called ADS-CFT correspondence. So in my book... Supersymmetry is more than fulfilled its ambition. What it hasn't done in recent experiments at the Large Hadron Collider confirm this is to explain the world of particle physics. Right. But that wasn't the reason that many of us went into it in the first place. So um, for us, at least, supersymmetry is still alive and kicking. Many physicists talk about supersymmetry as if it were a proven symmetry of nature. But none of the hitherto unobserved particles predicted by the theory, the so-called supersymmetric particles, have shown up. Is that not deeply disappointing? Oh, don't get me wrong. I would have been delighted had they discovered Mm. supersymmetric particles Mm. at the Large Hadron Collider. But they were not a prediction of string theory or M-theory. In fact, string theory and M-theory are silent about what energies you'd have to reach before you see the supersymmetric particles. Mm -hmm. 
which is uh, a shortcoming. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not uh, a fatal. Yeah. Not seeing them is not uh, the death yeah. of supersymmetry. Right. And could we ought to mention that uh, mathematicians love supersymmetry? Now that doesn't doesn't necessarily commend it to physics directly, but they it has mathematicians they call it a boon to them. Several of them have said, yes, which is which is it's suggestive, but if if not in any way conclusive. Supersymmetry and string theory have yeah. provided lots of um, impetus to the mathematicians. Yeah. Now, from one point of view, that's good. Of course, our experimental colleagues are not impressed by no. that. No. Well, they're entitled, they're entitled to be sceptical after all, but... Um. I asked Duff about how the concept of membranes came to the fore in physics and why did their existence take so long to be accepted? Well, strings, first of all, differed from the traditional view that the fundamental building blocks of the, of the nature mm. were point-like elementary particles. Right. Strings are one-dimensional objects, like yep. violin strings, yep. that can vibrate. And the different notes, if you like, represent the different subatomic particles. Yep. And it was strings that solved the problem of the infinities. Whereas point particles give you these unphysical mm-hmm. answers, the strings were perfectly sensible. But having abandoned point particles in favour of one-dimensional objects, the natural question is, well, why stop there? Why not two-dimensional bubbles mm-hmm. or sheets membranes or high-dimensional objects that got called inevitably P-brain. A P-dimensional brain was, a P-dimensional membrane was called P-brain. Now, this was not a new idea. In fact, the first person to take membranes seriously as a description of particles was Paul Dirac, the great British theoretical physicist, back in the early 1960s. And in fact, the equations that Dirac wrote down are the ones we use today to describe these brains. What was he doing looking at brains then? He was asking himself, why does the electron have a cousin which is much heavier? This is the muon, yeah. And the muon is very much like an electron, but heavier. Why should nature choose these two? Mm -hmm. And he tried to describe them both as excitations of a single vibrating membrane. Okay. Okay. Now, that's not our motivation today, no. but the equations turn out to be the right ones right. for our purposes. And his membranes w- w- would be consistent with quantum mechanics and, and special relativity. That's right. That's what he would have been looking for. So there's a sort of deep similarity in some ways with what you're, what you're doing here, because you're looking at the same sort of theory, aren't you, in some sense? Yes, well, um, one puzzle of string theory, notwithstanding the great successes it had in the mid-1980s, which is now called the superstring revolution. There were not one mathematically consistent string theory. There were five. Now, if you're looking for a unique theory of everything, five theories of everything seems like an embarrassment of risk. Slightly embarrassing. <laughs> and the other puzzle was supersymmetry, a strange, unexpected spin-off of supersymmetry, was that it placed an upper limit on the dimension of space-time. We're familiar with the idea of four space-time dimensions. Mm-hmm. Forward, backward, up, down, mm-hmm. left, right, plus time makes four. But in the early 1920s, Kaluser and Klein envisaged a world where there were extra space-time dimensions. And this idea was revived when supersymmetry came along because it turned out that supersymmetry places an upper limit of 11 on the number of space-time dimensions 
you can have. The puzzle was these mathematically consistent string theories live not in 11 dimensions, but 10. And many of us who were working on 11-dimensional supergravity thought something's not quite right here. Why does nature stop at 10 if supersymmetry allows 11? And so a small splinter group was looking at 11 dimensions and where that would take us. And it was discovered that although there are no superstrings in 11 dimensions, yeah. there are supermembranes. And for me, that was the, the turning point. It convinced me that 11 dimensions was indeed the fundamental dimension and membranes were the fundamental objects. So why did you believe in those membranes then? What, what was it that was so decisive for you? Because we showed, along with uh, my colleagues, uh, Stell, Pope and Seskin, that when you wrap an 11-dimensional membrane around a circle, it looks like a 10-dimensional string. So the 10-dimensional strings that had caused all the excitement were just a limiting case of the 11-dimensional membrane. So that convinced me that membranes were every bit as fundamental as strings. Right. So you really believe these things actually exist, so to speak? You, you, you really believe they're part of nature's Well, when I say, I use the word believe, yeah. we have models to describe nature, and we adopt them as uh, uh, working hypotheses yeah. until something better comes along. Right, okay. So in that sense, we believe in them, yeah. It seems that experts on the string framework were especially slow to be convinced of the need for membranes. The biggest critics were the string theorists. Right. In fact, um, I used to uh, compare them to the Flatlanders uh, that inhabited uh, Edwin Abbott's Ooh. satire, oh, yeah. which you may remember. Mm. The hero was Mr Square, who lived in two dimensions. Mm -hmm. And he stubbornly refused to believe in the third dimension. Well, the string theorists were much the same. Right. They were stuck in 10 dimensions and didn't want to know about membranes and 11 dimensions. They really didn't want to know? No, in fact, one string theorist used to say, I put my hands over my ears every time I hear the word membrane. Really? That really is not wanting to know. Yes, right. Okay. So to just describe how they they did eventually go into the mainstream of string theory. Eventually, any, yes. Yeah. I mean, we were working on this in the late 80s and early 90s, mm -hmm. and it wasn't clear whether we were on the same page as the string theorists. Right. Uh, they were doing their thing, we were doing ours, and then a miracle happened in 1995 when Edward Witten, who was the guru of 10-dimensional string theory, made this uh, astonishing announcement at the University of Southern California, that what we used to think of as the five competing string theories and the 11-dimensional supergravity yeah. were not six competing ideas. Yeah. They were different corners of a deeper, more profound theory mm -hmm. that he called M-theory. So after that, although not straight away, even Witten took some persuading, but after that, membranes were then absorbed into the currency of string theory. Progress with M-theory, the generalised version of the string framework, has been relatively slow of late, compared with the glory days of the mid-80s and mid-90s. Is Duff still optimistic that theoreticians are on the right lines? I'm optimistic, uh, yeah. but what I wouldn't like to do is put a timescale on when the final answer is going to present itself. 
because if you look at some of the most recent discoveries uh, that have affected our field, like um, the Higgs boson, that was predicted 50 years before oh, yeah. its experimental discovery. The accelerating universe, which many people believe is due to the cosmological constant, was predicted 100 years ago. Gravitational waves, similarly, 100 years. So there's what people tend to forget is there's frequently a time lag between the germ of the theoretical idea and the stage where it reaches maturity to be able to make a falsifiable prediction, mm. and then even longer sometimes before the experiment is actually performed. Mm. So what's required, in my view, is patience. I grow impatient, if you like, with those who demand instant gratification. Uh, we have to take the long view. But accepting that you need that, that patience is a, normally a virtue. One, one thing I can accept that. But don't you think there's something in the argument that says that, uh, that we don't have uh, the kind of experimental grounding that people say you had in the 60s and 70s, and it's a lot more speculative and a, and a danger that physicists will start to uh, lose their moorings in, in reality and go into a kind of um, mathematical uh, science fiction, so to speak. Don't you think that's a, there's a danger in that? There is absolutely a danger, yeah. but that's a danger we have to face. Right. There's two, we have a face with a, a stark choice. Either we abandon the idea of describing all of nature and the full forces of nature, and just focus on three of them, where everything's hunky-dory. Or we embrace all four, but face the dangers that you've outlined Mm -hmm. and deal with them as best we can. Finally, I asked Duff for his view on the future of the great quest to find a unified theory of all the basic interactions of nature. Well, if I come to M-theory, which uh, is the unification of all these strings, brains, supersymmetry. Mm. Uh, the problem we face is we have a patchwork understanding of M-theory, like a quilt. Mm. We understand this corner and that corner. Mm. What's lacking is the overarching big picture. And so um, directly or indirectly, my research hopes to explain just what M-theory really is. So you're implying that we don't know what it we is. We don't know what it is. Right. And in a certain sense, and I'll, this is not a popular statement, but okay. I think it. it's premature to be asking what are the empirical consequences of the theory, mm-hmm. because it's not yet in a mature enough stage where we can sensibly make falsifiable predictions. So might it be better to describe it as framework rather than a theory? If you like those words... In my view, theoretical physics is what theoretical physicists do. <laughs> and, uh, so I would call it but if physics, theory. But, but if you, you think all the wrong track, you though, you're, 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 that's giving them an easy ride because they, they may not get lost. But okay, I, t- I think I think with you. But are you broadly optimistic still that uh, that we're, that we're on a on a good track in theoretical? Well, optimistic is a difficult word. Uh, I can't see any alternative. So uh, for the time being, as I say. What we're guided by is the straitjacket, if you like, of yeah. consistency with mathematics. And the relativity theory has and to quantum be, mechanics. It has yeah. to be internally yeah. consistent. Yeah. And it has to be consistent with what we already know yeah. to be true. So we, one can, you call it speculation, but it's speculation in a straitjacket. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't predict where it's going to take us. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I like that phrase about speculation uh, in a straitjacket because it's always seemed to me that people, perhaps who aren't in the field, d- uh, don't perhaps appreciate how much of a straitjacket it is. I mean, you can't just just write up any old thing down. Right. You know, it's yeah. very, very. I mean, even to do a basic field theory of the part of the particles in an atom, it's incredibly difficult to jam quantum mechanics and relativity together. Yes. Critics, I frequently hear critics saying things like. Well, you dreamed up these extra dimensions, you dreamed up this supersymmetry, you dreamed up the landscape, as though we woke up one morning and yep. say, what can we do? These are not speculations, they're consequences mm-hmm. of the framework that we've set up. Mm-hmm. We're discovering, we're uncovering previously existing right. knowledge, we're not inventing yeah. it. I think Mike Duff is right to stress that physicists seeking a unified theory of all the fundamental forces need to be patient. It took the better part of a century to finalise a standard model of the three basic forces responsible for shaping atoms. And it may well take even longer to combine it with Einstein's theory of gravity. Although it's been disappointing that there have recently been so few clues about how to extend the standard model, there's no reason to give up or change tack. The quest for a unified theory of all the interactions is one of the grandest goals in science. And it's important not to expect progress to be uniform across the decades. The conservative approach of pursuing the goal by respecting quantum mechanics and relativity has never been experimentally refuted. Although experiments are giving no surprising clues at the moment, theorists can still make progress. They can do this, as I repeatedly stress in my book, The Universe Speaks in Numbers, by developing the mathematical structures of our best-tested theories. The universe is speaking to us not just through experiments, but through mathematics. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.